0: All right, our scripture reading today is from Luke 15, 8 through 10. Well, what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the word and spirit that you've given us. Open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears today in the hearing of your word. Let your word take root in our heart. And let us carry this word throughout the week. We pray for Ben, that his words will be heard by us through your spirit. Watch over us this week. Let us cling to you in your name, amen.
1: morning. morning. I was with you guys uh, two weeks ago, and it's good to be back with you all this morning. Um, What I'm going to do is um, try to have a thread going from last week to this week uh, in terms of uh, a continuation of some of the the main uh, themes of that passage. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm not quite channeling my inner Morgan Freeman. Is do I need to turn this off? It is off. Huh? It's it is off. Okay, sorry. We meet at Gracel. We meet in a park. So all of this fancy lights and everything is very strange to me. Um, in the summertime, we meet in this. We meet in the park. But anyway. If you recall, and if you weren't here, or if you've slept since then, you don't remember, that's fine, but two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus cursing the fig tree, and the whole point of that was we are to bear fruit, and three of the the fruits that we looked at were faith, prayer, and mercy. I don't know if you remember that, that we are, as followers of Christ, we are to be not just dressed up in pretty leaves, but actually bearing fruit faith, prayer, and mercy. And so what we're going to do today is continue that thought of well, what are some of the fruits we ought to be bearing. And the one that we're going to be looking at today is repentance. Repentance is the, the focus of the parable that we're going to be looking at. It might not seem that way on the surface, perhaps, until you get to the last verse, perhaps, but repentance is a churchy word uh if you go downtown and talk to some folks uh, i doubt very quickly if you just ask them about repentance some might be able to give you some sort of answer maybe others not so much but i imagine many of you here are familiar with this term but some of you may not be so just for the sake of uh getting us all on the same page repentance can be thought of in, in having two actions there's a turning away and there's a turning towards Right? There's a turning away from gratifying self, and there's a turning toward glorifying Jesus. A Turning away and a turning towards. A turning away from darkness, a turning towards light, a turning towards evil, a turning towards holiness. The passage we're looking at is looking at a coin that's brought from the darkness into the light and Jesus r- responds or concludes his parable by saying, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke 15 is an interesting place. I know every, every Sunday you all have someone else who's coming with a different portion of scripture, and if you're used to going more expository, expositorily, hmm, going through one book, verse by verse, uh, having someone come in every Sunday might be a little... Uh, Maybe refreshing, I don't know, but also maybe confusing just having someone, you know, another passage every week. Nevertheless, where we are, if if you have a Bible or have access to one, uh, it might be helpful to open it to Luke 15 because you can get a little better sense of what's happening on the page. If you would prefer to just listen, that's fine too. But what's happening in Luke 15 is interesting. Um, Some folks are upset with Jesus. Luke tells us they're actually grumbling at him people who are grumbling are the religious leaders, the priests, the Pharisees, all these experts of the law in in Judaism. And they're grumbling at Jesus. The reason they're grumbling to him or at him is because Jesus was doing something that they didn't approve of. He was seeking. He was welcoming. He was eating with sinners, Uh, seeking out those who were broken, seeking out those who were Messed up, seeking out those who were on the outside, seeking out those who were all leaf but no fruit. He's seeking them out, welcoming them, eating with them. And that causes the religious folks to get very, very upset. And they come to him and they start grumbling, perhaps even crying at him for what he was doing. This is not becoming of a rabbi. You're, you're not supposed to be doing this. And in response to their grumbling, he tells them three stories, three vignettes, three parables. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep, followed by the parable of the lost coin, and then concluding with the parable of the lost sons, or said here, the prodigal son. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And Jesus' response to them is saying, this is the heart of God. What you're grumbling at is the very heart of God seeking the lost going to them, going into the darkness, as we'll see in our parable. Now, this, uh, this element or this part of, uh, of uh, this, this technique uh, of, of contrasting light and darkness, we see it in, in literature, we see it in film, um, we see it in different expressions of, of art. Uh, there's the, the dark side, um, which is Star Wars or Star Trek. Uh, but it's basically the same thing, right? Star Wars, Star Trek. So whatever. Come to the dark side. Contrasting with, you know, with, with the light. And uh, I did a quick search. I, and, and please don't think that I'm some sort of, like, art person. Um, but I did a quick search of, like, how, how who are some famous artists who have really, uh, really focused on this contrasting light and darkness in their painting. And some of you might know this name, uh, Caravaggio. This dude is amazing. If some of y'all are still watching your documentaries on fig trees and fruit cycles that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, if you're still, if you're still binging on uh, these documentaries on fig trees, I get it. i uh, been there. But I would also suggest maybe checking out Caravaggio. This guy is an absolute, he's absolutely incredible. The way he, he accentuates... The action and the tension and the art using light and darkness. It's absolutely amazing. And so there are some great resources on, online to just uh, have other people explain what you're seeing in his style of art. Light being goodness, being order, being clarity and understanding, contrasted with darkness, which is disorder and evil and confusion and, and mystery and all this. And just contrasting that in his art. But again, we see that in a lot of different forms. And surprise, surprise, we see it in Scripture as well. And what I'd like to do is just spend a couple minutes looking at how light and darkness has been used in Scripture because that's going to serve as a little foundation of how we're going to see it in our parable today. Okay, so just briefly. You go back to creation, the creation account. There's the void. There's the, 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 the dark, the unformed and then Jesus, and by his word, God is speaking into that, let there be light, let there be order, let there be uh, uh, form where there had only been void. And it was good. Fast forward to the Exodus, and, and perhaps you may know these stories with the different plagues that were, that were sent uh, on to the Egyptians. And one of the plagues was darkness. Except on the people of God, there was light as he was drawing them out of Egypt. Fast forward, you can go into the Psalms. Psalm 107 is a great one that, that captures this. Uh, the people rebelled against God and they sat in darkness in chains. And yet God went into the darkness, broke the chains, and brought them out. Isaiah 60 would be another one, a uh, brilliant uh, display of this, where there's darkness amongst the nations, and yet the light of God shines forth And as, Isaiah doesn't say this, but like like moths to the flames, the nations are drawn to the light. That's just in the Old Testament. New Testament's all over the place as well, especially in the writings of John. Perhaps you know some of these. In him is light and there's no darkness at all. You see it throughout the New Testament, especially in our passage, as we're going to see in this parable. There's something in the darkness that is drawn out into the light. What is it that Jesus intends for us to understand from this short parable, a mere three verses? What I'd like to do is just do a quick like survey of the, of the parable what is it that's being said? And what are some things that may be living when we do, we miss? And then we'll spend some time applying it. The first thing for us that maybe we didn't, we didn't really hear or maybe weren't shocked at was the fact that a woman is the main subject of this parable. Remember, who's complaining to Jesus? The Pharisees. And they certainly didn't um, hold in high esteem uh, and certainly in like more societal way. Uh, women, nor shepherds. The first parable was about a shepherd seeking the lost sheep, leaving the 99 and going after the one. Follow the shepherd up with a woman and the Pharisees are at wit's end. What are you doing? Using a shepherd? Using a woman as this main subject of the parable? These, these uh, folks, their, their, their testimony wasn't even allowed in, in court and now being, you're using them as this instructional, pedagogical teaching moment that's shocking to them. What Jesus is doing is pressing into their um, sentimentalities, pricking their hearts a little bit. Again, might not be shocking to us when we live, but at the time, it was quite shocking. A couple other things about the woman, uh, and this has been written by people much smarter than me, uh, the, fact of the, the, matter, the, the, the fact that she's having to light a lamp is very curious. Now, again, you might have read that. She lights a lamp to go look for this lost coin. Well, there's really not a whole lot to that. Well, actually, there is. Why does she light a lamp? Maybe it's at night. That's a plausible understanding. But actually, we are to understand this action is happening during the day. It was a proper time for this something, something like this to happen during the day. Why then light the lamp? Well, it was dark inside the home. Why was it dark inside the home? There weren't many windows. Why weren't there many windows? Well, you didn't want a whole lot of windows because of dust coming in from the road into your home. That's one thing. But also, windows were expensive. Uh, These homes where we think of these massive like, double and triple pane windows, that is not at all what it was. The lower class uh, of this time, if they had a home, would have one, maybe two windows in their entire home. And the windows were about the size of a dinner plate. So it could be the middle of the afternoon, sunshine shining brightly and all this, and yet inside the home would be quite dark. So what we're to learn about this woman and her family perhaps as well is that they were of the lower class. Her coins, she has ten coins. Did she have any more than that? I, you know, It's a parable, so let's not go you know, too far down the road, but I think Jesus is intending for us to believe that these were the only ten that she had. Meaning that she probably did most of her business in a bartering kind of system, trading one good for another. The coins were set aside. They were extra special. Uh, A drachma, if you look in the bottom of your page there, uh, our translation just says coin, but the Greek word there is drachma, which is about a day's wage. So she has 10 days' worth of wages in currency set aside. It's special. This is kind of a savings account. Most of her buying and selling or trading was done from one good to another, but these coins were special. And you can tell by Jesus' tone that, of course, she's going to be looking for it. She loses one, it's not a small thing. So, of course, she's going to be looking for it. Who wouldn't do this? She takes a lamp, she takes a broom. Why did she take a broom? Well, to sweep the floor, hoping she can hear it scrape across the bottom of the floor. She's searching for it. And once she does find it, she rejoices. Verse 9, calling together her friends and neighbors. Her rejoicing was communal. It wasn't solitary. It wasn't something she was just doing by herself. But she wanted to share in the rejoicing. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That which was lost has now been found, and there's rejoicing. I don't know if you've ever, if you can just think for a moment of a time when you were surprised by something really good happening to you, or you weren't expecting it, but something really amazing happened. Maybe you were hoping for it, but weren't sure if it was going to happen, and then once it did, you wanted to share that joy. You got the job you were wanting. You got, the, you got into the, the school you were wanting to. You got a grade on a paper that you weren't expecting, and then it's much higher, and you want to celebrate. You want to tell other people about it. Back in 2016, first, I'm a Cubs fan, which hasn't always been easy. is isn't really easy this time. Also, being from the South, being a Cubs fan was very perplexing to so a lot of my friends who were all Braves fans. My parents had WGN on their cable package i had no idea where chicago was as a little kid um i just knew i liked them plus bears were cool too so why not pull for them anyway doesn't matter 2016 is when they won the world series first time since 1908 and november 2nd 2016 game seven series tied three to three we didn't have any means of watching the game, so I was listening to it on, on my radio in my kitchen table. Family had long gone to sleep. It was about midnight when the game ended, 1243 uh, AM, but anyway, <laughs> they had gone to sleep, and so I'm at my table listening to the Cubs win, and they won, and I wanted to just celebrate with somebody, but everyone was sound asleep. And again, none of my neighbors were Cubs fans, so they wouldn't have cared. But I, it was such an odd, unnatural feeling. This amazing thing happened, and I'm wanting to share it. I'm wanting to rejoice with other people and not just hold it to myself. I want you to think about that. I want you to hold that for a second. And, 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 and think how that might be really what uh, Jesus is pointing to in this parable. Angels rejoicing in heaven before the throne of God... When a sinner repents, this is a good thing that is to be shared and rejoiced over in community. We oftentimes have this, maybe you don't, but I oftentimes have this image of God sort of just shaking his head or pointing his finger, you know, whenever I repent. Oh, yeah, here you go. Of course, yeah, I've heard this one before. All right, Ben, what do you got? It's so easy how that thinking can come through, but I think what we really need to see is that there's rejoicing. When when a sinner, which is you and I, are shown with a deep, true conviction of our lack, of our sin, of our imperfection and finiteness, when we recognize that and turn from it or uh, weep over it, as we turn to the one who is infinite, who is holy, who is gentle and lowly, who is uh, lowly, and who is calling us to himself, that is a a, a moment of rejoicing. And I just want to put before you, how how should that change the way we repent? The joy with which we repent. Our time of confession, every week, as I assume y'all do here too, it's a weekly confession. Confession during the liturgy, is quite possibly before, besides the Lord's Supper, my favorite time of the liturgy is the confession. Because I know that, it, that God, my father's delighting over my coming before him and saying, I am broken. You can make me whole. It's one of my absolute favorite times of, uh, of, of the service. How much more frequently, openly, willingly, and joyfully ought we to repent knowing the response that it brings? Now, what I want to do is is, uh, think about how we can take this parable. This woman loses a coin, she seeks diligently until she finds it. Once she has, she calls her friends together and rejoices. Rejoice with me, for I've found the coin that I had lost. How might we take this and apply it to ourselves? And I want to think of it in in three different waves. The first is this parable really is a picture of us. It's a picture of our coming from the darkness into the light, repenting unto salvation, unto new life. But this is also a picture of our walking in the light, not just coming into the light, but walking into the light. I love that sound. Coming into the light, walking in the light, but then lastly, how we then might be sent as the light into the darkness. So I hope, I might say that again, just the the motion of this parable. What is it, how does this point to us coming to faith? How does this point to our walking in the light, uh, living out our faith, and then also lastly, as we move out into a dark world? Let's think about in those three movements. So the first, this is a picture of our own story. It is to be understood that we are the coin. We are the coin that has value. Even while we were in darkness, we had value. Think about that for a moment. The coin did not lose its value to the owner just because it was in darkness. There was an inherent value to that coin, even though it was shrouded in darkness. It meant a lot to the woman. When you think about our own um, stories, there is an inherent value in us even though we are shrouded in darkness. Why? Because we are image bearers of God with the dignity and the worth of, of, of all of that. Even when we are shrouded, there is value. God recognizes that and he pursues us. I'm going to circle back to that point in just a, in just a minute. But first, he sought us out even though we were shrouded in darkness. How did he do this? How did God seek us in the darkness? Well, the parable shows us two things about God. We see his sovereignty. We also see his initiative. What did the coin do to come into the light? Nothing. It just laid there, not even aware of it being in the darkness. It takes God to enter into the darkness to retrieve that which was lost, And bring it into the light. When Jesus was born, light was born among us. Light entered into a dark world. But friends, he didn't just enter the dark world. He entered into the darkness of our own hearts. How did he do that? Think for a second about his crucifixion. What happened concerning light at Jesus' crucifixion? It went away a deep darkness descended upon the land at Jesus' crucifixion, signifying judgment, signifying the, the, the punishment for our darkness poured out on him. So please hear me. This is, here, here's the gospel. Darkness was poured out onto the light, the light of God, God himself, God's son, so that we might be brought out of the darkness into the light. Our darkness was poured out on him that we may have light. Darkness was poured out so that we could be brought into the light. And in rising again, the darkness, the punishment for that darkness has been satisfied. The darkness defeated. And in rising again, his light, his life dwells in us by the spirit. And also notice that this was done... This is done joyfully. Hebrews 12, listen to this for a second. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. This is another picture of repentance. Let's lay aside the sin that, sin, that, 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 that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our, of our faith. I know this passage might be well known to a lot of you and praise Jesus that it is, but don't let these words skip over you like a, like a stone across a pond looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Him going to the cross, embracing or receiving our darkness was done joyfully that we may enter into the light. So this is a picture of our own story coming into the light, a picture of God's sovereignty and his initiative. Next, though, This is also a picture of what it means to walk in the light. Though we've been brought into the light, there are still those remaining dark corners of our hearts that need to be exposed. 1 John. John's telling his audience, this is a message I heard from him. I'm now proclaiming to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... While we live out our lives in darkness, if we say we have fellowship with him, the one who is light, while walking in the darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. We're brought into the light and then we're called to walk in the light. We're walking and we walk in the light through the spirit showing us our darkness remaining darkness. Let me tell you a a quick little uh, story about this. Uh, If you know me at all, you know that I love coffee, and I spend um, pretty much every day in coffee shops, interacting with people. That's where I work, but it's also just where I'm a faithful presence in the city, and I love really good coffee. But anyway, this one place I was at, uh, I like going to this place that has uh, a counter, bar stools kind of set up where you can work at the counter. People come up, order their drinks, the baristas are back there making the coffee, and uh, I just love being around all the action. This one day, I noticed uh, a new hire. A young woman had just uh, been hired. She's coming to, to be trained by the manager, and the manager is asking her all the basic questions, like, how are you with, uh, with coffee? Do you, uh, like? What do you know? What do you know about the different blends, the different roasts, uh, You know, the, the acidity and where the beans are from? And the new hire was like, I don't know. I don't know any of that. And the manager was cool. She was like, all right, uh, well, how are you with, with, with the milk and the, the, the foam and the different foam densities and, and you know, all this? Uh, and she had no idea about that either. All right, well, let's go more big picture. How are you with Cortados and Cubanos and Americanos versus lattes and all this? How are you with that? Again, blank stare. She had no idea at all. At this point, I put my highlighter down, close my book, and kind of sit back thinking, this is going to be pretty good. Uh, you're going to see someone fired on their first day. Um, but then, I, I, and, it, and just as a little bit of like cynicism started to enter in, and like, well, she, how, what did she? How was this person hired? Like, what? She's bringing nothing. How is she hired? And, I, and then it just it, it struck me like th- that's a picture of the gospel. That's the picture of the gospel. Just as she brought nothing, we bring nothing. There's nothing that we uh, have to bring to to the Lord to say, hey, I deserve to be on that side of the counter. Uh, That's not it at all. This is by grace that we are saved. It is a gift. But once the woman was taken to the other side of the counter, that's when the training begins. That's when the manager was like, okay, so what? just how much don't you know? Let me start kind of prodding a little bit, and that's the work of the Spirit. We're brought in, we're saved, we're brought into the light, and then the Spirit begins to say, okay, so where are your dark corners? Where are those places in your life that light needs to come in, shine in, and and expose? And what I want to do is offer just several places where there might be still darkness in which light needs to be exposed so that we may walk in the light. Take anger, for example. You might be an angry person. On the outside, you might be very kind of, you know, calm, chill, whatever, but inside you might be seething. How might the light of the gospel shine into that darkness to get under go from the second secondary emotion underneath it? What is it that's causing that? What are you not believing about the gospel that is coming out as this anger? How might anger be redeemed? Not, not all anger is bad, right? Some of it is quite good righteous anger, but how might this evil, sinful anger be redeemed? What about sex? It's a gift. It's good, but our sin then takes something that has value, just like the coin in the darkness, and when it's shrouded in darkness, and then there's pornography, then there's lust, there's all these things. How might the light of the gospel shine into that darkness and bring about restoration, liberation, healing? Uh, Take our jobs, Let's go a little lighter here. What about our work, right? Work is good, work is good. We glorify God in it, but what do we do? We take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. We then see our work as that thing that defines us, provides the security, provides the significance and meaning into our lives. Well, fine, but then what happens when you lose the job? Or, more practically, you realize that that your work can't do that for you. Your job is crushed under the weight of our expectations and our needs. Only God can be that for us. That's how we were created, that's how we were designed. Last one, take our friendships. Friendships are good, but what happens so often in friendships, they're misused. We seek friends not to love and serve and and, and be a friend, but to use them for something that we need inside. So there's an abuse that happens there, and I've been on both sides of that, and it hurts. I don't know if y'all have ever been hurt by a friend, you realize that they were just using you for something else. Man, it doesn't mean you throw away all friendships, but what does it mean for the light of the gospel to come in and redeem that? As we walk in that, we've been brought into the light. As we walk in the light, how might the light of the good news of Jesus and who we are in him shine in those dark corners and bring about restoration and ultimate redemption and cleansing? Now lastly, the last part I want to I mention is how we then go out. It's a picture of our own conversion. This is, this is a picture of what it means for us to walk in the light. But then uh, to close, how might we view this parable as a picture of us taking this light and moving into a dark world? Remember, you had value even when you were in darkness because you are an image bearer of God. Those around us who, by maybe their own profession, deny Jesus, deny the existence of God, Uh, and are, are walking in darkness, how might we still move towards them because they are image bearers of God? They have value even though they are in the darkness. Even though we may disagree with them on every topic down the list, how might we still see them as image bearers and therefore having inherent value? Just as we were in the darkness and yet with value, Uh, How might we seek them? I was uh, thinking about uh, entitling the sermon, The Light Goes Out, but then I was thinking that might be a little too clever for my own good because it's a little confusing. Does that mean the light is extinguished or is it sent? But the meaning, meaning for this is that the light is sent. Matthew 5, Christians, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But instead, they put the lamp on a stand to bring light to the entire house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to, I want to focus here in a, as, I, as I begin to land the plane. Landing gears are coming down, so stay with me. Y'all are doing great, but stay with me. This is the memory verse, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory. I want to talk a little bit about the good works. What does that mean? Is that now a list? Is now, is, is now when we're getting to the point of the sermon where uh, preacher man gives you now a list of things to do or a list of things not to do? And of course, not going to do that. Not going to hear that from me. But I am going to ask you to do some, little, uh, some self-reflecting. <laughs> when we think about the good works, as the light shining forth into the dark world and they're going to see our good works, what might those works be? Well, let me ask, um, how are you with joyful repentance? How are you uh, with thankfulness and, and, and see repentance as a work? Because it is, trust me, repentance is a work. But it's a letting go. It's an acknowledging. It's an opening up. It's a laying down. Think about thankfulness. Think about humility. Think about contentment. Think about how well do you see the people in front of you? I was really challenged by that. A mentor friend of mine, church planter in Asheville. He said, Ben, how well do you see the people in front of you? Because I don't think you see them very well. And that was an indictment, and I needed it. That was a dark corner of my heart where I just would pass by people, image bearers of God that I would just pass by, cashiers at grocery stores being one of the main ones, or baristas at coffee shops, standing in front of someone who bears the image of the living God, and I'd just pass right by. To see them, to love them, that's a good work. And going back to Isaiah 60, that is a light that shines forth that people are drawn to. Uh, this past Tuesday, I met with a Buddhist teacher. She is one of the highest, I guess, ranking teachers of Buddhism in Grand Rapids. I've known her for over a year. Casually getting to knowing her and her husband, just getting to know them. We finally met for coffee, and she asked me what prayer is. And almost fell out of my chair. But she said that there's something, there's just something about me that she that she recognizes, and she was curious, what is prayer? And to be able to sit there in this crazy hipster coffee shop, telling her about prayer was was an absolute uh, privilege. And I'm just sharing that to say this is, this, is a, this is just a picture, not yay me, but yay Jesus. This is a picture of what it looks like for the light to shine forth, people to recognize it, and be drawn to it. Let me now move to my next point of five. That was a joke. I mentioned Caravaggio at the very beginning. Caravaggio, the 17th century Italian painter. Something that's interesting about um, his work is that he never, in none of his paintings, does he include the source of the light, right? He never includes in his paintings the sun or a candle or a lamp or something like that. Um, it's always implied, but you immediately see the effects of the light, and you would think that a painter that utilizes so much light and darkness, he would include that, but he doesn't, but you see the effect of it, you see the act, the effect of the light on the action happening in the, in the painting, and I think there is something to that, that though we may not see the source of the light with our own lives, or with our own eyes in this life, we see the effects of it. Let me say that again, that though we may not see with our own eyes in this life the source of the light, we do see the effects of it. We see it in our own lives, we see it in the lives of one another, and we praise our Father for it but we do know that there will be a day when we will see Jesus face to face as the light of the world. John even tells us that in the new heavens and the new earth, we won't even need a sun, because there will be the sun. We'll be in his presence. And what a hopeful message that is for us as we move out as the light, remembering our own story, moving out into a dark world that desperately needs to hear this good news of Jesus. Being the light of Christ, moving towards a people walking in darkness, just as we once walked into darkness. Remembering our own story as we were brought into the light, may we then move out and seeking those still walking in darkness. Let's pray. Um, Father, I do pray. by your spirit uh, we hear what we were meant to hear this morning and that anything spoken by me would be immediately forgotten but only those words from you only those truths in your word spoken to us and made alive in us and enlightened to us by your spirit may those words uh, sink down deep and i do pray for this body i pray for christ church that that these folks remember their story, and that they have been brought into the light as the children of God, been brought into the light. May they continue to walk in the light, even as they move out into a dark world that needs to hear and see their light. Receive all the glory for it. We pray this in your name. Amen.